Uh, last week, we relaunched into the series titled Gospel Origins. And the first gospel message actually that we see in all of Scripture is not found in Matthew, the first book of the gospel uh, narratives, but actually it's in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we find this gospel hope uh, and promise when God is judging uh, the serpent. He's actually judging Adam and Eve and the serpent. And in the middle of this judgment, we see this amazing hope, the good news. Um, but we have to pause and think, why is God judging uh, Adam, Eve, and the serpent in paradise? Uh, this, is, this is a perfect world that God created. Why is there a judgment? Uh, something went horribly wrong. See, when before sin entered, God and man were uh, in perfect harmony, perfect fellowship. Uh, even the relationship between Adam and Eve, uh, we see cooperation, collaboration, uh, trying to fulfill uh, the task that God has given them uh, to subdue and cultivate uh, his created work. Uh, not only that, we see that creation and humanity are, um, are not at odds with each other. Uh, there was uh, peace between creation itself and man. Uh, but what happened was Satan in the form of a serpent came and distorted God's word and deceived Adam and Eve, convincing them that they would make better gods than God himself. Uh, and that's what sin is, that, that we want to live independent of God. We want to choose for ourselves what is right and wrong. We want to be our own authority. And that's what sin is. And so what they did is they took that forbidden fruit, they ate it, and therefore brought a curse upon all of creation. Now, man and God are no longer walking and talking in the garden, but he's now banished from his presence because God in his holiness cannot coexist with sin. So now there is separation between God and humanity. Not only that, we see Adam and Eve, uh, when they were working well together, they start blaming each other, blame shifting, um, and not taking responsibility over their sins. Uh, and now there is estranged relationships, and we're all too familiar with that in our own experience. And lastly, we see that creation is now hostile and in opposition to, to humanity. There is disaster, there's disease, and there's death. Now, this will define uh, the rest of our experience here in this broken world. But God, in his love and his kindness, in his grace and his mercy, does not leave creation hopeless, in Genesis 3.15, we, we get this promise. When he's uh, making, uh, giving a judgment to, to the serpent, this is what he says, verse 15. I'll put enmity between you, that's being the serpent, and the woman, who is Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God will send a savior through the offspring of Eve. Satan will get a few blows in, but ultimately Christ would crush his head. Right? This is talking about Jesus Christ. So then what we see in the book of Genesis and the rest of Scripture is the unfolding and the development of this promise and this hope that we see in Genesis 3.15. This is the first gospel message that we get. So we have to fast forward because it's going to be the offspring of Eve that will then produce Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Fast forward, we get Abraham. Abraham is now the, one, now the one who's going to carry that line of the Savior, right? He has a son named Isaac, and Isaac will then carry that, uh, that hope and that promise. He has two sons. The younger son, Jacob, will continue that hope. And then Jacob has 12 sons. The question that we want to ask and we answered last week, which one of these sons will now carry on 
this promise and this hope, right? It's actually Judah. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob's first wife, Leah, who was less attractive and less loved by Jacob. It's the fourth son, Judah. But then why, why, why doesn't the, the author of Genesis, who is Moses, talk about Judah? Instead, we get 13 chapters of Jacob's first son from his second wife, who was more loved and more attractive. Now, if you are tracking with me, this is a very complex and drama-filled family. The first son of his second wife, the more loved and attracted one, Rachel, uh, attractive one, Rachel. He is the 11th son of 12 sons. The author spends 13 chapters describing Joseph and giving us a picture of his life. Why does God do this? What is so important about Joseph's life that so many chapters are dedicated to him? What we will find in what we saw last week is God is going to use Joseph to preserve his older brother Judah, the one that actually sold him out. Judah is the one who came up with the idea, hey, let's sell our brother Joseph. Let's make a profit. Unbeknownst to him, God is going to use that act to save Judah through Joseph. Right? And so the theme, the common theme we're going to see over and over again in this series is that God is sovereign over Joseph's life. God is sovereign. God is going to use Joseph. He's going to help him rise to power to save his brother Judah. So last week we saw that Joseph was deeply loved by his father. He was hated and despised by his brothers. And he was sold to Ishmaelites. And he's now on his way down to Egypt. So today we continue in Joseph's roller coaster uh, of a life. Uh, he is now in Egypt in the house of an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And, um, and we're going to see again... Uh, the, the, the drama it filled uh, in, in Joseph's life. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39. And we'll read, it, uh, read verses 1 through 10. If you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it's going to be up on the, the projector. All right. Let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. Now Joseph had, had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, uh, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down, down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became, he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and Sorry, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. 
He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So what does it mean for us to experience blessing or for us to be blessed? Now, there's a a way that the world defines and understands blessing. So it goes something like this, all right? You'll see my post on Facebook or uh, I'm not much into Instagram, but you'll see a picture with my kids. We're smiling. Um, Maybe with my wife, too. Uh, She doesn't like me taking pictures of her. But we'll be at a restaurant and we're all smiling. I'll take a picture and the hashtag will be blessed. Right? Blessed. Or, you know, you get a 4.0 on uh, uh, an exam, or you get a job promotion, and, and you'll post something, and you'll put the hashtag blessed. And so, although we're not wrong in thinking that this is a, indeed a blessing from God, uh, oftentimes when we uh, kind of um, just only show one aspect of, of, of the blessings that actually the Scripture describes we're prone to think that blessing is uh, conditional or circumstantial or situational. Right? It's, it's based on certain things that happen in my life that, that quote-unquote, makes me feel blessed. Right? Because you won't see me. Uh, yesterday, I was with the kids, watching them all day, and they were fighting the entire day. And I was just, I was just drained. You, you wouldn't see me taking a picture with the kids fighting against each other, me being exhausted, saying, hashtag blessed. You just won't. It'll be hashtag get me out of here, right? Uh, but what often happens is we, we kind of just isolate some events uh, that, that goes well for us and say, hey, this is what a blessed life looks like. So what does it mean then for us to truly experience God's blessing? So what we see here in today's passage is, is Joseph demonstrates and exemplifies for us what a blessed life looks like. We see what, through Joseph and his experiences, truly what it means to be blessed. So I want us to look at the three different circumstances Joseph finds himself in, and we will see what it means to be blessed. First, in his success, we want to see God's Blessing in Joseph's life through his success. Second, in his temptation. And lastly, in his suffering. So first, the blessed life in his success. See, Joseph was purchased by Pharaoh's captain of the guard. And you can think of like maybe the head of the CIA, right? Uh, Joseph was working for a very important man. And he finds great success in Potiphar's house. Verse 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. See, while God isn't mentioned in our passage last week, there's not one mention of God in chapter 37. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But when when we come to chapter 39, God is mentioned eight times. Eight times God is mentioned. Uh, by this word, Lord, in all caps. That is Yahweh, the name of God. And over and over again, we see God appearing. And four times throughout this chapter, God is with Joseph. We hear that again and again and again. God causes Joseph to succeed 
in Potiphar's house. And it was due to his favor in Joseph's life that made him successful. So much so that Potiphar just entrusted everything into Joseph's hand. The only thing Potiphar had to be concerned about is very subtle, is what he ate. Man, that's a nice life. Right? Just to, just to you know, wake up and like, oh, what am I going to eat today? That's how much peace Potiphar had. And that's how much trust he had in Joseph to just give everything into his hands to oversee. But I want to pause because I think a very simple and superficial reading of this passage may cause us to think that he got to success overnight. It just happened just like that. And so some preachers, unfortunately, will just take the life of Joseph or specifically this passage and say, if you believe in God, you'll get wealthy. You'll be healthy, right? If you believe in God, if you give yourself to God. And, and I, 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 although there are some truth to that, we have to kind of take a step back. And, and if we just do some simple math here, we'll understand that that wasn't the case. Joseph's success didn't come overnight. When he was sold into slavery, how old was he? He was 17 years old. When he rose in power to be Pharaoh's right-hand man, how old was he? He was 30. That's 13 years, okay? And he was in prison, as we will find later in this passage. I'm getting ahead of myself. He was in prison for two years. So what that means is Joseph was in Potiphar's house for how many years? Do the math. 11 years. 11 years. What this means is that, that Joseph had to learn the language, right? He had to learn the culture. He had to learn all the operations of Potiphar's house. And so I'm thinking maybe nine, ten years, he gave himself day after day to be faithful to his master. Now, why is this important? Because what's the theme of Joseph's life? God is sovereign. God is in control. God is orchestrating everything to fulfill his plan and purpose. So some, some Christians, unfortunately, believe that if God is sovereign, then I have to do nothing. I get to do nothing. It is this distorted way of understanding God's sovereignty. Joseph believed in God's sovereignty, but yet we see diligence. We see duty. We see day after day his faithfulness to his master. And that is very important for us to, to know that God's sovereignty and human responsibility is not in opposition Right? Actually, God's sovereignty will cause us to be more diligent, more proactive, not to sit idle and lazy. And so after 9, 10 years, he's working hard, and then he gets this promotion, right? And he is successful. What is the result of Joseph being successful? What is, what, what is the result of a blessed life? Verse 5. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. If you, don't, if, if you notice, the author in describing Potiphar is just constantly trying to identify that Potiphar was not a Jew. Again, again and again, an Egyptian in the Egyptian's house. What is the result of a blessed life? Others around us are blessed. Others around us experiences the blessing of God. See, Joseph's success brought blessing upon Potiphar, who's an Egyptian who did not worship God and who did not know God. But through Joseph's success, Potiphar came 
to a knowledge about God. I don't know if he submitted, if he worshiped God, but he came to a knowledge of God. Wow. Wow, this is amazing. This is what God had in mind when he called Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. He says, I'm going to bless you to make a blessing to all nations. And we're seeing that happen here in Joseph's life. See, blessing, although meant for us to enjoy, we can enjoy God's blessing. It is purposed to bless others. Our blessing is not for us primarily. It is for others to enjoy and to be blessed by. See, Potiphar is blessed through Joseph's success and places everything under his authority. See, this past week was a very big week for California sports, wasn't it? For those that are keeping up with the NBA or even NFL, right? Who got drafted to the Lakers? Lonzo Ball, right? Lonzo Ball, and a lot of people are excited about Lonzo Ball. But another thing happened in in, uh, uh, Southern California sports, the Oakland Raiders. Derek Carr, their quarterback, just signed a five-year, $125 million contract. He is now the highest player in NFL history, right? It's exciting things for Oakland Raiders fans or even Lakers fans. But if you look at these two individuals, they're, they're, they cannot be any more different, right? Lonzo Ball, his dad, LeVar Ball, took that opportunity of his son getting signed to the Lakers to what? Self-promote. The big baller brand. Right? He's just pushing his own brand. But Derek Carr, it's pretty profound. I don't know if you guys saw this on your newsfeed. Go and look at, at, at his interview at the press conference when he just found out that he is the highest paid NFL player in history. $125 million. They asked him, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to buy? The first thing that he said was quite funny. He's like, I'm going to get Chick-fil-A. Because he's been eating clean this whole time, but he wanted to eat uh, some Chick-fil-A. But anyways, apart from that, he says the first thing he's going to do, it's it's astonishing. He said, I'm going to give 10%. He said the word, I'm going to tithe. It's unbelievable. Uh, On the national podium, he's saying with this $125 million, he's going to give 10% of that. Not only that, he says, I'm going to give more to those that are in need all around the world. I mean, it's just so, such a contrast in, in these two athletes and how they, they respond to their success and to the blessings that they've received. See, church, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. Our careers, businesses, our resource, our time, money, our homes, all this God has given us purposed to bless others. Church, are we using the blessings of God for ourselves, or are we using the blessings of God to serve others? Right? Are we just trying to be comfort- comfortable for ourselves, to, to experience pleasure for ourselves, or are we looking to bless others, to make known the glories and the riches of God's love and mercy? See, all too, all too often when God blesses us, we, we, we hoard it to ourselves, we keep it to ourselves, and what ends up happening, it becomes a curse. And we see this happening all throughout the Old Testament with God's people. They're hoarding the blessings of God, and it actually becomes a curse for them. See, Joseph gets blessed by God. He's seeing a lot of success. 
what we will see now is that Joseph will be given an opportunity to take advantage of that blessing. Right? We see another char- characteristic of the blessed life in Joseph's temptation that he's about to face. Right? Blessed in temptation. We see a blessed life in Joseph's temptation. Verse 6, the latter half of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now that's very interesting because there's no one else in the Bible that actually gets this description. Uh, he's a good-looking man fit, right? You could just think of abs, everything just working for him, right? Potiphar's wife takes notice of this, verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, right? In other words, she gave him the look, the look, right? The flirtatious eyes, right? The flirtatious eyes, See, after a while, he, she's giving him this, these looks, but it wasn't doing it. It just wasn't working. So he just, just, she just came out straight up. Hey, lie with me. Right? Lie with me. Now, remember, Joseph is away from his family. He's in a foreign country, probably very lonely, missing his family, probably looking for intimacy and companionship. And Potiphar's wife was probably very attractive herself. But how does he respond? It's astonishing how he responds. Verse 8 and 9. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No, against God. What a response. What, such, what resilience and strength. How can I be unfaithful to my master? But more importantly, how can I do such great wickedness and sin against God? See here, Joseph demonstrates for us what a blessed life looks like in the midst of temptation. See, a blessed life is one who gives weight and priority to God. He gives weight and priority to God. Joseph understands something that's all too important. He has in his possession the greatest blessing of all, and that is God himself. The greatest blessing that Joseph realizes about himself is that he has God in his corner. He has God's presence with him. So he was unwilling to compromise his relationship with God for a moment of pleasure. So he runs away. He flees. Please listen carefully. The reason why Joseph is able to flee temptation is because he has found God's favor. Or rather, God's, found, God's favor has found him. Let me say that one more time. Joseph is able to flee temptation because God's favor has found him. Brothers and sisters, friends, church, When we're faced with temptation, what is our main motive and thought to not give in? Right? When you're faced with something that you know is not right, what are the dominant thoughts running through your own head of how can I resist this urge? How can I not fall into this sin? I think it's fair to assume it's one of one of two things. First, it's fear, fear, fear of consequences, fear of the consequences, fear of punishment, fear of people's judgment. Right? 
I don't, I, I don't want to be seen as a liar. I don't want to be seen as a gossiper. I don't want to be uh, known as an adulterer or a luster. So you know what? I'm going to stop or at least try to stop. Secondly, I think another motivation for us to resist temptation is pride. Right? To say that we are good, we're moral, we're religious. Right? We're getting those gold stars on our charts. So because I didn't give in, I am morally superior than the rest. Which one is it for us? Is it fear or is it pride that motivates us from, uh, um, from not going, falling into temptation? See, the ability to resist temptation, right? The re- ability to resist temptation, accor- uh, according to the, uh, Joseph's life, is his realization and the belief that he has in his possession the greatest blessing that he could ever have. And again, that is God. So his resolve and resistance to temptation came from a confidence he had in his relationship with God that I have God's favor. And that's all that I need. See, why do we give in? Why are we unable to flee? Because I think in the deep recesses of our hearts and our minds, we don't really believe in God's goodness in our lives, that we don't really believe God favors us, that we have it already. He's given us everything that we possibly need, himself. And so then we go and searching for these lesser things to fulfill and satisfy us. See, Adam and Eve, they failed to believe and trust in God's goodness. That's why I ate the fruit. Joseph here understands God's goodness, understood that he had God's favor. And therefore, when he was uh, confronted with uh, a pleasure, right, a lesser pleasure, he realized he had the highest pleasure. And that was God. See, we can say no to lesser things if we see and know clearly uh, that we are in possession of the greatest thing, and that is God himself. So true blessedness, true blessedness results in others around us being blessed, right? Second, we see that uh, the blessed life in Joseph's temptation, uh, we see the blessed life in Joseph's temptation. He was able to resist temptation because he knew and experienced God's favor. Last, we want to see the blessed life in Joseph's suffering. Yeah, you would think that Joseph would now be rewarded, that God would just reward him from fleeing temptation. But instead, what happens? Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph, right? Joseph was forcing himself, himself on me. And, and then his clothes, right, his garment uh, is snatched from Potiphar's wife, used as evidence. Right? This is really sad. Joseph and clothes, it's just not a good fit, right? Because the robe of many colors was used, right? To, um, and that, that's what got him in trouble. And that's also used to decide, uh, deceive uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob. But here again, um, we see Potiphar's wife snatching the garment and using that as evidence against him. Um, see, Potiphar's wife over and over again, day after day, was just tempting, tempting uh, uh, Joseph, and finally he flees and he, she grabs a garment and she just makes up this story, fabricates this story that he was put, forcing himself on me. And so she tells uh, her husband and her husband is angry, rightfully so, and puts, a, puts him in prison. Joseph now is in prison after doing the right thing. But again, a careful reading of this passage, I don't think Potiphar really believed uh, his wife. I just don't think. 
Because what if, if Joseph really did what he did, he should have been executed. He should have been executed. Right? He is a, a non-Egyptian right, who forced himself on an Egyptian official's wife. He should have been executed. But I don't think uh, Potiphar really believed that. So he put him in prison instead. So now Joseph is a charged criminal in prison for doing nothing wrong. And this is similar to what, uh, what we see uh, happening uh, in the early stages of Joseph's life. But again, we see something very interesting here. Um, Joseph is silent. He is not defending himself. Uh, he's not accusing Potiphar's wife. Uh, he is, a, again, showing us that he is a silent sufferer. But why is he able to stay so silent during this whole thing? Why not complain to God? God, I did the right thing. Shouldn't I be blessed? Right, God, I, I, I go to church. I, I serve on, on, on the hospitality team. I even go on mission trips. Or I'm on the praise team. Why do you let these things happen to me? Right, we're, 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 we say those things. Joseph did nothing wrong, yet he issues no complaint to God. Again, I believe Joseph's ultimate hope and trust was in God, not in the system at work. He believed in what God was doing in his life. He was able to silently suffer because he knew God's favor. He knew that God's favor was still with him. Genesis 39, verses 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Right? Again, we, we're, this whole passage is sandwiched by God's presence, God's favor upon Joseph's life. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what situation, what scenario, what backdrop, his life is in. God is with him. What is the common denominator throughout this whole passage? The Lord. The Lord was with him. In Potiphar's house, in the midst of temptation, and now in prison. See, true blessedness is not defined, defined by our belongings or our possessions, but rather whom we belong to and who possesses us. We belong to God. We have God's favor. He is with us. That is why we can have everything or nothing and yet say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Church, we can, we can have everything or nothing and still say, blessed be the name of the Lord because we have God himself. True blessing is not found in our belongings, but whom we belong to. And we see this in Joseph's life, in Potiphar's house, in his temptation, and in his suffering. So I want to close with this. How do we get this life? How do we experience this type of blessedness? How do we, bless, how do we get blessed so we can bless others? How do we win over temptation? How do we experience God's favor we can experience this by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the true and ultimate blessed one. He was truly blessed. Jesus Christ was truly blessed. 
Like Joseph, everything that Jesus did blessed others. He would touch someone and they would get healed. He came bearing the life-giving message of the kingdom of God, giving hope to sinners. He lived in perfect obedience to his father. But similar to Joseph, Jesus would face temptation. And he too would choose God, his father, instead of sin. And Jesus, was, Jesus will also be falsely tried and convicted as a criminal. But Jesus does something that Joseph cannot do, and that is die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. His story ends differently than Joseph's. See, the blessed one, Jesus Christ, becomes a curse for us by dying on that cross. He dies as a criminal. So those that place their faith in him can experience the divine favor of God, to have the presence of God always with us. And as God was with Joseph, he is now with us. His Holy Spirit now resides in us. This is the gospel message. That is what true blessedness looks like, is that we have God himself. See, I know there are brothers and sisters here that have not accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Can I invite you and ask you to consider Christ? He is the blessed one that can offer you a blessed life. He pays the penalty for our sins. He died and he rose again for us so we can have God's divine favor forevermore. Not circumstantial, not conditional, but forevermore. God makes that available to us through Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, for those that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, I want us to consider as, as what Potiphar did to entrust everything into the blessed hand of Joseph, can we do that? Can we do that to Christ today? Can we entrust ourselves in the hands of the blessed one, Jesus Christ? Can we give him our good? Can we give him our bad? It is better in his hands than in our hands. Our successes, our trials, our sufferings, we can surrender it to him. We can surrender them to Jesus over and over again. And the one way that we can do this is through prayer. Prayer is the posture of faith and trust. There's far too many of us who are trying to do this life on our own, trying to figure things out on our own. But what, one thing that we learn uh, from Joseph, who is a type of Jesus, Potiphar gives everything to Joseph. I pray and hope that we can do that to Christ, to hand everything over to him. He can turn everything in our lives, right, to use it for his glory and for our ultimate good. So pray. Exercise prayer in your daily lives. That is how we can entrust, surrender, and submit ourselves to him. Let's do this again and again for his glory and for our good. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Well, let me invite you to pray. Can I, can I just ask you to consider uh, this, uh, the truth of Scripture? Uh, can we reflect on the blessedness of Jesus Christ? What is it that you're going through now uh, in your life today? What are the sufferings? What are, what are the pains? What are the joys? What is the success 
that God has brought before you? Can we lift that up to, can we lay it in the hands of Jesus Christ and ask God to use it for his glory and for our ultimate good? Let's lift up that prayer uh, up to God. And I'll close us after a few moments. Let's pray. God, for those that are here sitting right now uh, that don't know and have not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you'll be with them. Convict their hearts. Woo them to yourselves, to yourself. Help them to know and surrender their lives to Christ. God, I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters who are struggling are going through pain and suffering. Help us, Lord, to see your sovereignty in them. Help us, Lord, to surrender them and entrust them in your hands. God, and I ask that you'll be faithful, merciful, and gracious. And for those, Lord, that you have blessed abundantly, who's experienced success upon success, God, I pray that you will help us to see those blessings as from you, that you are the one blessing us with these things. And may we use it to bless others, to, to demonstrate to others how great and amazing of a God you are. God, we want to trust in you. We want to place ourselves and our lives in your hands. May you form and shape us and mold us to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your love. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.